Leviticus 8, verses 14 through 24. And he brought the bull for the sin offering, and then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering, and Moses killed it. Then he took the blood and put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger, and purified the altar, and he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its offal, he burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled the blood all around the altar. And he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Also he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of, of, of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one wafer, and put them on the fat and on the right thigh. <clears throat> and he put all these in Aaron's hands, and his son's hands, and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar, on the burnt offering. They were, con <coughs> they were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma that was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron, excuse me, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire. 
And you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. As he has done in, the, in this day, so the Lord has commanded to do to make atonement for you. Therefore, you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may, so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this Lord's Day, and we thank you that we can come here and study your word. Lord, we pray as we look at these pictures of the priests being consecrated in Leviticus, that we would see that this physical picture of a spiritual reality, that as... Dan brings the word to us that we would understand how these apply to us as followers of Christ today, that we would uh, not just look at this as historical uh, details, but we would understand why God has created this picture and, and what it means for us as we live our lives today. We ask all this in Christ's name. So on the note card I had, or on the note page I had Exodus instead of Leviticus, and on the bulletin Jeff had last week's passage instead of this week's passage. So this week's passage is Leviticus eight twenty-five through 36. And it's useful that, that, uh, that Roger read last week's passage because as we, one of the things that I wanted to talk about as we go through these... As we think of these types and shadows, the, the idea of him being washed and that, that picture of being cleansed and then the, the picture of the anointing oil sprinkled on the, on the altar as well as on the Aaron and his sons and that this picture of the Holy Spirit being sprinkled upon those who, who are the priests of God. Those things are all useful and as we went through there we talked about those but I think there's something else that we should talk about that I didn't talk about last week that is related to, to how we should think of these things is God didn't just say, here, do this, anoint, anoint the altar with oil. He said, do it in a very particular order because the order actually matters. The order is about the nature of salvation. It's about the nature of what God has done in the world. The fulfillment of this consecrating the the Levitical priesthood, we know from like Hebrews 9.10 that this was just like a physical parable. This picture that God put in place so that we can understand spiritual realities at the time of Reformation, at the time that Christ comes and reforms all these things, that now we're supposed to understand what these things are pointing to, and not just the, the detail of them, like the anointing oil, but also how they tie together, what the order of them is, because the order in which God told Moses to set aside Aaron and his sons as priests has significance to us. It really means things. And so I kind of wanted to review that before we dealt with this week's passage. You know, when we thought about the grain offerings, as we went through Leviticus 1 through 7, and you talk about all these offerings, so many of the offerings, the only way they were acceptable is if they were put on a burnt offering, because you can't have a grain offering, the idea of the Word of God becoming alive and becoming meaningful and becoming nourishment, 
until you first have the sacrifice of Christ. The grain offering is dependent upon the sacrifice of Christ. You can't receive the blessings of the peace offering, which is the picture of being at peace with God. You can't get that, that peace offering without the burnt offering. So all these things were piled on top of the burnt offering because the burnt offering is what underlaid them. And so as we think of the consecration, the order is the same way. The order really matters because the order is God saying, this is the order that I came to establish the priests that are the, the people of God, those who have faith, the priests of the order of Melchizedek. So as we consider the order of this consecration for the priests, the first thing that happened was that Moses washed Aaron. And then he washes his sons. But then I would associate that picture. This is before the anointing with the oil. This is before any of the sacrifices. Because you would think if the picture is that the sacrifices are what cleansed, then the cleansing would come after the sacrifices, not before the sacrifices. But the cleansing is the first thing that's done. And I think it's a picture of election, right? It's that Christ was... He was pure. He was holy before the foundation of the world. He was holy before any of the sacrifices. But his sons were also washed. In the eyes of God, those who he was going to save, those who would have faith in him, before the foundation of the world, God knows he's not going to send them to hell. God knows who he he has saved, those who he will deliver to to make become priests. And so... You see, and again, it's the Moses who's a picture of the law. Moses is the one that's washing him because Moses is the one that's testifying that they're holy. Because in the end, Moses, including for believers, he's the one that testifies through the law, that picture of the law. He's the one that testifies that they have been set apart, that they are, that they are set apart to God. Right? We see that clearly with Christ in 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So Moses washes them both, because it is by the law that you see that they're holy. It's not the law that makes holy. There's no law that can make one righteous. But it is the law that makes it so that people can see that they're holy. It's the law, because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, that people can say, he is the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah that can take the sins of the world because he didn't have any sin. So the first thing that's done is they're washed. And then the high priest is given his garments. At this point, the sons are still naked. And Aaron receives the the priestly garments. And notice he's clothed with the things that signify the office before the sacrifices that were made that were consecrated. Because it's God who chose who the high priest was, like it says in Hebrews 5, as we went through Hebrews 5. It's, It's God who said, this is the high priest. This is the one I chose. This is the one I gave the garments to. And he did that before the sacrifice. Now we know that, you know, the, the picture of, of, you know, in, in, uh, in Hebrews 5 as well, God says that I have begot- today I have begotten you is referring to Jesus Christ being made the high priest, which happened at the crucifixion in the, in the, the resurrection. 
but this was all appointed. He, and, and Aaron, at this point, he's not the high priest. He's not the high priest for seven more days. But he's already given the garments. He's already received the garments, and he's been dressed with the ephod and with the, the breastplate and with the names of Israel and all these other things. And then next, the anointing oil. Where they anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it. And we know the tabernacle is the picture of, of heavenly places, as it says in Hebrews. And the altar of burnt offering is the picture of hell. And the laver, which is the other thing that they anointed with oil, that's the picture of sanctification on this earth. And then finally, it's poured out on the head of the high priest. And we know the anointing oil, it represents the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's work of making things and people holy. But notice where all this happens. First Christ is appointed the high priest, and then the altar burnt offering is anointed. There's a doctrine called superlapsarianism, an infralapsarianism. Superlapsarianism goes, God decided before anything else that... Jesus Christ would be glorified by being a sacrifice. Infralapsarianism says Adam sinned, and then God looked and said, and all these things happen outside of time, so there's no time. It's just a a logical sequence. But infralapsarianism says Adam sinned, so therefore God says I have to send somebody to rescue a people. But this is saying the high priest was anointed or was dressed as the high priest. Dressed as the high priest before the altar of burnt offering was consecrated, which means that he was appointed a high priest even before the picture of hell was established. So God established hell so that Christ would be glorified, not the other way around. So I think this is a very, very superlapsarian position in this passage. I don't know if any of that made sense, but it made sense to me. So, <laughs> but the, So again... I think the order of these things really matters, and the order of these things is pointing out deep theological things that they never understood, but through the Holy Spirit and through the sacrifice of Christ and the fulfillment of things, we're supposed to understand these things. We're supposed to look at these things and see what God was pointing to with, as it says in, in you know, Hebrews 9, that these are physical parables. We're supposed to see these parables and understand them. So the work of the Holy Spirit consecrating these things happened before the advent of Christ. But they happened after Christ was determined that he would be high priest, after who was elect was going to be elect, which was represented by the washing of the sons of Aaron. So then Moses so after that then Moses clothed the sons of Aaron. The clothes clearly represent the righteous acts of the saints. We know that from Revelation. And so <coughs> It happens after the Holy Spirit consecrates the picture of hell, the burnt offering. That's when the, the acts of the saints are consecrated. That's when they're dressed. That's the separation is demonstrated. And then, after all that, comes the sacrifice of the sin offering, which is the picture of Christ's crucifixion. <coughs> him suffering outside the camp, which in Hebrews is very clearly referenced that we need to join him outside the camp because he suffered outside the camp. The, the sin offering is the picture of him being crucified on Calvary. And so then the blood of that, 
was used to anoint the horns of the altar. The horns, horns of the altar, right, on each of the corner there was a horn. The horns always represent power, so now all of a sudden the power of judgment increased because of the sacrifice of Christ. The guilt of people even talks about this for the nations. That, that in, in Romans it talks about that the nations, that, that they were deceived, but now that deception is removed. They were under the, the control of Satan, but Satan has been bound. So, so now all of a sudden there is a different power to the judgment of hell because of the crucifixion of Christ. It has more power. Then the ram is offered as the burnt offering. The picture of, di- of Christ dying for the give- forgiveness of sins of the congregation is before the picture of the ram being sacrificed. Sorry, the, the picture of Christ dying as the sin offering and as the bull so that the congregation of Israel could be forgiven. That picture is before the ram is offered as a burnt offering. The ram offered as a burnt offering with the blood sprinkled all around the altar is the picture of substitutionary atonement. It's the picture of being separated from that judgment that was appointed. That judgment that wasn't even increased because they yelled, crucify him, crucify him, when they crucified Christ. But then they take the ram that's the burnt offering, and they drain its blood, and they sprinkle it in a circle around the altar to show that there's now a boundary, there's a separation for the sons of Aaron, for those who are this picture of the, the priests of the order of Christ, that there's that separation from that judgment because of Christ's sacrifice and because of the burnt offering, the substitutionary atonement. But that happens before the second ram is, all, is offered, Because again, this order matters. The second ram is offered (coughs) and its blood was put on the right ear, the right thumb, and the right big toe. First of Aaron and then of his sons. And this is a picture of the the righteousness of Christ being imputed to the sons of the high priest. And it's also a picture of the promise that his righteousness will be imparted and not just imputed. Not just will they be declared innocent, but that God will cause them to walk in righteousness. Because remember, the anointing oil was sprinkled on the, on the sons of Aaron even before the sacrifice. They were set apart to have righteous acts even before, before the foundation of the world. So the second ram was sacrificed after the first ram, which separated from the judgment of hell. The second ram was sacrificed to show the blessings of Christ's crucifixion to those who believe in him, that the power of sin in their life is actually broken. So with that, let's talk about verses 25 through 29. Then he took the fat and the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys in their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one wafer, and put them on the fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands, and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar, on the burnt offering. They were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma. That was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. 
It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he took the fat and the fat tail. Again, Moses is doing all the sacrifices. He's acting as priest, in a sense, right? Moses is, is a picture of the royal priesthood. He has both ecclesiastical authority and civil authority. He's the head of the government. Now he's transferring his ecclesiastical authority to Aaron in, in this consecration. But as a picture of the law, he could do these things. Because it was in accordance with the law, he's not able to do these because of his holiness. He's able to do them because they're in accordance with what God commanded, what God said they were to do. And as we've talked about before, going through Exodus and Leviticus, the fat is a picture of the worldly things. The fat is a picture of the accrual of, of the results of sin, the, the worldly blessings that are a result of sin. You know, it talks about in, in Deuteronomy 32 about how they've grown fat, they've grown thick. That's because of real blessings in this world. But it's a picture of the result of sin causing, causing fatness, causing, causing pleasures in this world. And these are things that we have to be willing to sacrifice for God. So they cut that off and then all the fat that was on the entrails, the fat that surrounded the internal organs... Right, The organs, again, these organs like the liver and the kidney that produce the things that defile a man, as Christ says. It's not just what into a man that defiles a man, but what comes out of a man. So this is the, the things that accumulated because of the picture of sin. And the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and their fat, all these things that are associated with the, the inward parts of man that have to be cleansed, that have to be purified and sanctified so that we can be priests of God. We have to be changed from the inside. So they were taken first because the first blessing that we see of the gospel in our lives is the sanctification that comes. And there's always more sanctification to be done, but it's the sanctification that comes from having a heart of flesh rather than having a heart of stone. It's the sanctification that comes because the Holy Spirit writes the law on your heart and on your mind. So that happens immediately. That's the first thing that's done is that we give up some of our sin, not all of our sin, but we give up some of our sin as a sacrifice to God. And then the right thigh. So once the priesthood was established, the right thigh would be the priest. They would actually receive that as part of the sacrifice, the right thigh and the breast. But in this case, the right thigh goes to God and the breast goes to Moses. And so the right thigh was burned with the fat and entrails. And I think this is a picture of that, that when you're saved, you truly make sacrifices. Sacrifices of good things, not just sacrifices of the effects of sin. We should desire to sacrifice the effects of sin. But the right thigh isn't the picture of the results of sin. The right thigh is, is the picture of real sacrifice, real things that are good, that there's nothing wrong with. This is what it looks like to lay down your life for one another. This is what it looks like to love your, your neighbor. And so you have this picture of making real sacrifices by them burning this, this right thigh. And then from the basket of unleavened bread. Remember before they, at the beginning of chapter 8, before they did any of the, the sacrifices, before they did any of these things, before they did the washing, they brought the animals and they brought a basket. And the basket had three kinds of bread in it. All of it unleavened, but one was like the bread that is baked like a loaf, 
would be mixed up and prepared. One that was like, like more like a thin cracker, not a cracker, but uh, you know, it had oil in it, and so it had some, you know, a pancake is probably the best way to describe it. And then one that was just like the very thin and like a cracker. And they would have multiple loaves of each of these. And so here they would take from each of those, they would take one of those three different kinds of bread and they would put it on top. So they would take from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord. And again, when we think of the order, even before the high priest was washed, the bread was there. Right? They gathered the bread. It's the word of God is eternal. The word of God lasts forever. It's not that all of a sudden the word of God came into being. God appointed his word to be established and be forever. So then he would take one of the unleavened cake. That unleavened cake, I think, is a, a picture of prepared bread, like a sermon. Cake of bread anointed with oil, which again is like a pancake. That would be something that would be quickly prepared like a daily devotion. Picture the Holy Spirit using that word without long meditation. A lot of times when we just read the word, it can immediately impact us. It can cause us to, without deep study, to go, no, this is what I should be doing. This is the sin I should repent of. And then the wafer. And the wafer is like the word of God that was prepared without the Holy Spirit. It's just the power of the word itself that the Holy Spirit uses, which is why they would pour oil on the, on the wafer. And so this is just like the idea of that no scripture returns void, that you put it out there and that God has an effect with his word. So they would put those three loaves and they would put them on the fat in the right thigh. So they'd have these this fat with the with the entrails on it, with the, not all the entrails, but with part of the liver and the kidneys. And, and then on top of that, they would put this right thigh. And then on top of that, they'd put these three loaves of bread. And he'd put all those into Aaron's hands. Right? And again, God's particular about the order. The order is that we start by dealing with sin, the picture of the cleansing the inward parts with fire, purifying those. And then being a living sacrifice, that picture of the thigh, that you're actually sacrificing things that are useful. And then the picture of the word on top, that it's through the word that we're able to do these things. And so he would put them in Aaron's hands, he'd put them in his son's hands. So both Aaron and his sons were to hold these things up and wave it. So this is what Christ did, and then this is what all those who believe in Christ do. They cleanse their inward parts. They are living sacrifices. They make real sacrifices. And they abide in God's word. And they consume God's word. And this is where their life is. But then they waved it. Because when you look in the Sermon on the Mount where Christ comes and he goes, you know, nobody lights a light and sticks it under a, bath, a bushel. They all light a light and they hang it up on a, a lampstand so that it gives light to the whole house. And God is clearly saying there, when I light a lamp, I'm smart enough to put it on a lampstand so the whole house sees it. And that's the picture of the wave offering. The wave offering is he's saying, this is what I do to my priests. I, I deal with their sin in the inward parts. I make them live sacrificially. I make them abide in the word of God. And he then has them lifted up. And can you imagine the sight, right? I mean, these are kidneys. The kidney of a ram is not small. 
in the fat that's around the entrails. It's not small. And they're lifting this up with the thigh on it, and they're waving it before the whole congregation of Israel so that everybody in Israel can see this picture. And they had no idea what it meant. But we're supposed to understand what it means. God doesn't give us faith so that our faith can't be seen by others. He gives us faith so that people will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. He gives us faith so that we, we are new creatures in Christ, created for good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in, as it says in Ephesians 2. And that's the picture. The picture is that he, he actually, in being consecrated, he does these things for us. And he does it in such a way that the world around us can see it. And remember what, they would, have, what would have been the most obvious the thing on the top, these three loaves of bread. Because Christians need to be exalting the word of God. They need to be making the effect of the word of God seen to the people around them. Because it is about the word. It's not about us. As long as it's about us, then you could just hold the entrails up and you could hold the, the, the thigh up. But it's not about that. What's on top is the bread because it's about bringing glory to God and not glory to ourselves. When we just have the entrails and we just have the, the thigh, it's about our glory when we put the bread on the top, the unleavened bread that represents the word of God. That's when God gets the glory instead of us getting the glory. We need to make sure that when people see our good works, that they see it's the effect of the word of God so that God gets the glory and not us. So they're to offer it as a wave offering before the Lord. They were to offer these things because after they were washed, after they were purchased by Christ's sacrifice, after they were separated from the picture of hell through the sacrifice of the ram of the burnt offering, they were separated to something. They were separated to be cleansed. They were separated to be sacrificial. They were separated to exalt the word of God. For them to be priests, they had to truly turn from sin, they had to truly sacrifice, and they had to truly feed on God's word. These things that, that they made as a wave offering, then Moses took them from their hands. After they waved them, after they made it so that all the congregation of Israel saw what they were doing, Moses took it from those hands as the picture of the law and burn them on the altar. Because without the things being done in accordance with the law, no matter how much they think they're making sacrifices, no matter how much they think that they're caring for others, no matter how much they think they've been cleansed in the inward parts, it's through the law that demonstrates, that declares that this is a pleasing aroma to God. Our sacrifices without them being in accordance with God's commandments are meaningless. The definition of a good work, according to our confession, is that it has to be done in obedience to God. And it has to be done <coughs> for the glory of God. That's what's required for it to be, a, to be an acceptable sacrifice. So these other things could all be the picture of being done for the glory of God. But without it being done in obedience to God, it means nothing. That's what makes Christ's sacrifice and makes us our sacrifices acceptable is because they're causing Christ to be seen and they're causing and they're done in accordance with the commandments of God.
they burn them on the altar on the burnt offering. The burnt offering, again, that thing that separates us from hell through the blood being poured out around the altar, that sacrifice, that's what was required to make these other sacrifices. It doesn't matter how much you talk about the Word of God. It doesn't matter how much you walk in obedience to God's commandments. You'll always be short. You'll always fall too short. It requires, there's no law that can make one righteous. It requires the sacrifice of Christ. It requires the substitutionary atonement. That's what makes those other sacrifices acceptable, is that they're built on the, on the sacrifice of the burnt offering. <coughs> so they were consecration offerings. They were the offerings to show that they had been separated that the people of God, that the priests of God were separate from the world. As James said in James 2, 17 and 18, Thus also by faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And that's exactly what the priests are doing. Even though they're doing it physically and we have to do it spiritually, that's exactly what they're doing to show that they were set aside by priests. Is they had to wave these things before the congregation. So the congregation saw. The congregation could see their good works. And that was a testimony that they had faith in the burnt offering. That was a testimony that they had faith in Christ. <coughs> you couldn't do the ram of consecration until you first did the ram of the burnt offering. And then that was a sweet aroma. The sacrifices were pleasing to God. Without burning them on the burnt offering, they are not pleasing to God. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with faith in the work of Christ, our sacrifices now become acceptable. Our sacrifices now become a burnt offering that, that God takes pleasure in. This, that was an offering made by fire to the Lord. Fire, again, is a picture of cleansing. Just as water is a picture of cleansing, you can purify things through fire. Right? That, the picture of like removing dross of metal. And so the parts of the ram of consecration being burned is a picture of how God cleanses those who are trusting in the sacrifice of Christ. And then Moses took the breast. When we think of Moses as a picture of the law... When we think of him receiving the breast and him eating the breast and being strengthened by it, I think this is, you know, obviously there's the picture here of a workman's worthy of his hire. He's the one doing these sacrifices. And just like the priest later would get the, the right thigh and would get the, <coughs> excuse me, the breast, Moses gets the breast now because he is worthy of the hire. But I think there's another picture here. I think it's a picture that that when Christians are doing what they should be doing, when they're walking in obedience to God, when they're putting to death sin in their members, when they're, when they're being a living sacrifice, when they're proclaiming the word of God, when they're preaching the word of God, it doesn't weaken the law, it strengthens the law. Not that anybody looks to the law for salvation, but it strengthens the righteousness. When people see, when we're proper living sacrifices when we're saying we're doing this because this is what the Word of God says, people see the goodness of the law and the law is strengthened. That's always been historically true. Christianity doesn't weaken the law. Christianity makes people see that the commandments of God were good when they're used lawfully. 
So then he waved it as a wave offering before the Lord again. It would be held up so that the people would see, that the people would see that there's a blessing to Moses from this. And so that was Moses' part of the ram of consecration. The consecration of the priests also, also strengthened the law. As the Lord had commanded Moses, everything was mo- that Moses was doing, the reason it was acceptable is because Moses was doing it in accordance to what God had commanded. They were not ends to themselves. They're picturing greater things. And as it says again in Hebrews, that, that God gave very precise directions because these are picturing heavenly things. They're picturing spiritual things. So God was very careful, and Moses fulfilled the commandments of God because he was careful to do it in ways so that we could understand after the time of Reformation, after Christ comes and reforms what, and makes it no longer physical, but makes it spiritual so that we can understand (coughs) the spiritual realities that these parables are pointing to. Verses 30 through 32, Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration Offerings as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and the blood of the bread you shall burn with fire. So Moses took some of the anointing oil, and again, the anointing oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And with that, he consecrated, you know, that's what he consecrated the altar burnt offering, that's what he consecrated the tabernacle with. And now, after all those sacrifices, He used it to anoint the priests. So understand the picture. The picture is that the power of the Holy Spirit is given after after God has made these changes in you, after he's he's caused you to put to death sin in your members, not on an ongoing basis, but he's actually cleansed you in the inward parts. And And he's made you die to the things of the world to pick up the cross and follow him. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit so that you have power to actually... Do the work that you should be doing in his kingdom. And some of the blood. So he takes some of the anointing oil because there's still oil left. He's not taking all of it. It's not like the picture that there is no Holy Spirit to be anointing people. There's still people that will be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And then some of the blood. If you remember the blood of the bull, he had put on the horns of the altar. The blood of the first ram, he had sprinkled around the base of the altar as this picture of separation. And then the the ram of consecration, he takes that blood and he does the same thing. He, he sprinkles it in a circle around the altar burnt offering. Because now our deeds are separated from the worldly deeds. And here he takes some of the blood that was on the altar. Well, the blood that was on the altar was of the sin offering. So it was of the bull whose blood was put on the horns of the altar and then they would take it outside the camp. (coughs) And so he took that and sprinkled that on Aaron. So the anointing oil and the blood of the bull was then sprinkled on Aaron. Aaron needed the sin offering to be sanctified. 
because he was not the true priest. He was just a picture of the true priest. Christ being the high priest, he shed his blood so that he could enter into the Holy of Holies. But we need to be sprinkled with the blood of Christ. We need to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. He was the sin offering so that, so that we can be reconciled to the Father. We can have the promise that we can enter into the Holy of Holies. <coughs> so he sprinkled it on Aaron and on his garments. So he sprinkles it on not just Aaron but his garments. Because it would be seen that this was not the work of Aaron. His high priesthood was not by his work. His high priesthood with, the, with all the things that he had on it, all the, all the things that he was wearing <coughs> that were pictures of being a prophet and pictures of, of, you know, of bearing, the, bearing the children of Israel into the Holy of Holies. All these things, Aaron's consecrated because of the blood that was shed. And how much more did, as we just talked about in Hebrews 9, how much more did Christ enter into the true tabernacle need a better sacrifice? So he sacrificed himself. But he also sprinkles the blood mixed with the anointing oil on his sons. And so they're pictured as the, it's a picture of the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit that he actually changes the people, not just the people, because he also sprinkles it on the garments of his sons with him. The reason that it can say in, Ro- in Romans 2 that, that the reason that God will judge each one according to his deeds is because God doesn't just sprinkle us. He doesn't just sprinkle the person with the blood and the, anointing, and the Holy Spirit or the anointing oil. So he sprinkles the garments. He changes our works so that he can then judge us according to our works whether we're seeking God or seeking the world, whether we're walking in the Spirit or whether we're walking in the flesh. So he sprinkled the garments on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. Up to this point in the passage, there was a different word used for consecration. So you see in the King James, it translates and it used sanctification here. Before the word for consecration was a word that kind of meant like you had a setting for a jewel, and you put the jewel and you filled the setting. And so that's what all the stuff before that was about. It was this picture that, that God is putting in place something to be seen. He's fulfilling stuff. He's like setting it up so that people can see, see a jewel. And it's very specific what the word's used for. It's, it's translated consecration, but if you use it in a physical sense and not a... a, a you know, if you use it in a literal sense and not a figurative sense, then it's talking about putting a jewel into a into a into a, a socket on a on a piece of jewelry. And so that's that's the point. He's setting aside, he's setting it up so that you can see, and that's what all the word consecration does. But then he translates he uses a different word that's almost always translated sanctified. And so by this, he sanctified Aaron and his garments and his son and the garments of his sons with him. So up to that point, it was fulfilling the picture. It was like putting the picture in front. And then he says, so Aaron and his sons are now sanctified. They're set apart. They're different from the rest of Israel. And that was done through the sacrifice of Christ, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, 
the law has now shown that they are set apart. And from this point forward, Aaron and his sons will have different responsibilities, they'll have different privileges. They will be set apart. But they were set apart because they were being consecrated. They were being held up as an example. They were being this, this display that God was putting on. <coughs> and so just as they're separated by this work of Christ, or this picture of the work of Christ, we're separated by the real work of Christ. And we are distinct from the world, not just in some way that people are looking at them and going, oh, they've been set aside by God for a purpose, but that they're saying we can see how they were set aside by God because spiritually they are different. That's what the true people of God are like. Spiritually they're different. They are separate. They are holy. Be holy as I am holy. So and Moses said to Aaron and his sons, so Aaron, Moses also commanding Aaron and his sons, as he was directed by God, to boil the flesh. So that second ram, they took some of the flesh, right? They gave, they burnt the, the thigh on the, the altar. They gave Moses the breast, but they take the rest of the animal in there to boil it. And normally you could roast it, you could bake it, you could eat it however you wanted. But here they're telling God is telling through Moses them very specifically to boil it. And, you know, boiling takes longer. Boiling is, is stewing over it. It's much more of a picture of meditation than roasting is. And so I think the, the picture here is that they're, they're supposed to be meditating on the sacrifice that was required for them to be consecrated, for them to be set aside as the priesthood. And we need to start by meditating on what Christ did. That that's, that's where salvation comes, recognizing what Christ did, what was required for you to be reconciled to God, and to have faith in what Christ did, that it will reconcile you to God when you trust in it. So they were to boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So you have the door of the tabernacle of meeting. On the one side, you have the holy place with the altar of showbread, with the with the lampstand, and then on the other side you have the altar burnt offering. And so they were supposed to do it in the place where nobody could go into priests, into the holy place, but priests. But they were to do it so that everybody could see that they were doing it, where the congregation would see. And so they were to to eat it there at the door of the tabernacle. And that so they would have the congregation would have been there, the congregation could have seen, they couldn't have seen into the holy into the holy place, and obviously not into the holy of holies. <coughs> but God was making it very clear this is what's required to go into the holy place. This is what's required to go into that picture of being able to approach the presence of God. So they were to eat it there with the bread. So the bread, again, which is a picture of the word of God. They were to eat on that border, on that border between the holy place and the world. And they, were, they were to have this picture there that these are the things that, that made the separation, partaking of the sacrifice of Christ. Not just in some flippant way, not just in, oh, I raised my hand and I prayed a prayer, or I walked an aisle, but, but in a meditative way, recognizing that you're the sacrifice of Christ is what was needed to reconcile you to the Father. And then with the bread, which is representing the word of God. So that's what they would sit there. That's what they would sit there and eat at the door of the the tabernacle. 
They would eat the bread that was in the basket of the consecration offerings. So they were to sit in that in that doorway, and they were to eat of the bread that's like a loaf that was like prepared, and then that was like a pancake, and then it was like a cracker. Is this testimony that 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 priests consumed the word of God? Priests consumed the bread. <coughs> and then he says, "As I commanded." So God had commanded this back in Exodus 29 when he laid this out the first time, you know, probably nine months before they're actually doing it. And so Moses quotes God here and says, Aaron and his son shall eat it. Those who are designated to be priests, they're the ones that eat of the sacrifice. Those who are designated to be priests, they're, they're the ones that can partake. You must eat my body and drink my blood is what Christ said. They're the ones, that's the picture here is that Christ was the sacrifice, and you have to partake, you have to eat of him. <coughs> it was only, you know, and I think the picture of limited atonement is very much in this passage as well, because they were to eat of it. And, you know, most people, when they hear the doctrine of limited atonement, the reason that they hate the doctrine of limited atonement, or that they say they do, I know what the real reason is, the reason is they say, well, it, it limits the efficacy of Christ. Couldn't, wasn't Christ's sacrifice sufficient for everybody? And that's the picture here, right? What remains of the flesh and of the bread, you shall burn with fire. It's not saying that there was only enough for Aaron. It was saying Aaron and his sons were the only ones that could eat it. The only ones that were allowed to eat it. So it's not limiting the amount that could have been fed by Christ's sacrifice. That's not limited at all. What's limited is who's allowed to eat it. The only ones that are allowed to eat it are those who God elected. Those who God said, you can eat, you can be priests on the order of Melchizedek. So the point wasn't to say that his sacrifice couldn't have been sufficient for all. Obviously, it could have been sufficient for all. But it was only for those who God appointed to the sacrifice. All the rest of it had to be burned. Because it wasn't for those who God did not elect. Verses 33 through 36. And you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you as he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do, to make atonement for you. Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So it starts out by going, you shall not go outside. And Moses said this in Exodus 29 too, that that during the whole time of consecration, that they weren't allowed to go outside. And when you read other people, and I kind of held this position in Exodus 29 when I preached through it, but... But I'm starting to think that that position's wrong because it's really easy to make exceptions and to go, well, you know, the human body is the human body. They would have had to go out to take waste out. But I actually think when it says you die if you go out, that they, there's other ways you can deal with waste. There's other ways that you can take it outside. Obviously, you couldn't leave it in the holy place. But I think when it says that they weren't allowed to leave, my position now would be there's no exception to this. 
that for seven days they had to stay at that place. Seven days they had to be in that door of the tabernacle. Seven days they had to be where people could observe them. And I think it's important because it's, it's showing the seriousness of the matter. Because it's so easy, especially in the modern church, to just consider, you know, hey, you make a profession of faith, big deal. That's, that's not this picture. This picture is for seven days they did these sacrifices. For seven days they had to lay there. For seven days they slept there, they stood there, they walked there, they, they did everything. And God says, I'll kill you if you leave. God is showing how serious this is. He's not taking this flippantly. When Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I think that's more the picture here, is that they're told, be careful that you're consecrated as a priest. You sit in the doorway. They were to sit in the door of the tabernacle and meeting for seven days. And obviously seven represents completion. It represents fullness. And so they're supposed to make sure that everybody knows that they've been set aside. And they do this by staying there for seven days. And I do think this is pointing towards, towards the consecration of the high priest, the true high priest, Christ. Because when Christ goes into Jerusalem seven days before he rises from the dead, and they're all crying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's not that long before they crucify him. There's a week that that basically Israel, during that week, they make it very clear that Jesus Christ is set aside as the high priest. That Jesus Christ is the sacrifice because he is the righteous one. And so I think this, this week of consecration for Aaron is pointing to the week of consecration of Christ. Where all of Israel switches from going, oh yeah, he's the son of God, to all Israel saying, crucify him, crucify him. And so I think the two are pointing, that the one, the physical parable, is pointing to the spiritual reality of the other. So they were to stay there for seven days until the days of their consecration are ended. They were not fully consecrated until this process had been done. It's important to recognize that. He's wearing the high priestly garments, but these things have to happen for seven days in a row before he actually becomes high priest, before he can make any of the sacrifices, before his sons can make any of the sacrifices. You know, it doesn't matter that the burnt offering, the sin offering, the peace offering, that all these offerings were offered, he's still not the priest until after seven days. Until the days of the consecration were over. So think about that. You know, there is a point where they're consecrated, where the Levitical priesthood is established, but in the establishment of the, politi- of the Levitical priesthood, it's super clear that it's really lacking. If you have to repeat it seven times, there's a problem with it. It didn't work the first time. So God intentionally before he even finishes establishing the Levitical priesthood, he makes it crystal clear that the Levitical priesthood is not the end. It doesn't work. Otherwise, they wouldn't have to be consecrated seven times. They wouldn't have to keep doing it. But clearly, it didn't actually break the power of sin. It didn't actually make a holy people. It didn't actually sanctify people. It just did it in physical ways. What was really needed is a spiritual way because God is spirit to actually be reconciled to God the Father that we were separated from in Adam as we read from the confession this morning. 
the only way to actually be reconciled required a greater sacrifice than than these bulls and these or these rams. So Christ's consecration, yeah, it took a week too, but it wasn't the same thing every day. And his sacrifice, once it was done, it was finished. There was no more need for any other sacrifice. His sacrifice finished it. It wasn't that he got sacrificed every day for seven days, which is what the picture of establishing the Levitical priesthood. So for seven days he shall consecrate you. For seven days they would bring the animals and the bread. They would be washed and dressed by Moses. They'd sprinkle the anointing oil. They'd take the bull outside the camp and burn it. They'd offer the two rams. They'd do the same sacrifices. They'd offer the fat. They'd offer the right thigh. They'd offer the bread on top of it. Day after day for seven days they would testify that this isn't the real thing. This is just a picture. Remember I talked about the other day about it's like in a museum where they have an exhibit of like a volcano overflowing and they just keep repeating it and they just keep repeating it. Well, you know it's not real because they repeat it. And so Israel was to look at this and go, they knew it was just a model because if it was real, it doesn't get repeated. It doesn't need to be repeated. (coughs) So for seven days... He would do as he had done this day. They would repeat all the same things so that the Lord, as the Lord had commanded. They would repeat the same thing over and over again so that everybody that looks at it is supposed to go, clearly this is just pointing to something. This isn't the reality. This isn't the substance. This is just a physical parable. This is just a shadow that the substance is to come and the substance is Christ. So the Lord commanded that to be done to make atonement for you. It was to set apart the Levitical priesthood as separate, as distinct from the Israelites, to make a physical atonement so physically they could go into the holy place, so that physically they could go into the Holy of Holies. But we know it wasn't spiritual. Annas and Caiaphas, they're the ones that are leading the attack on Christ. They're the ones who are desiring him to be dead the most. This didn't create any spiritual atonement just allowed them to physically enter into the, the presence of the glory of God, <coughs> as long as they had enough sacrifices, as long as they had enough incense burning. But it didn't actually solve the problem. It didn't actually reconcile <coughs> them to God. So therefore you shall stay, because they were being physically set apart, physically they had to sit in the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days. It was physical separation. It was physical joining with God. It was, it was all these physical things that were a picture of a spiritual reality. Day and night for seven days. For the whole time they were being set aside, when it was being made plain to the congregation that God had chosen them to set them apart to him, they had to stay in that door of the tabernacle so that they had physical separation. And to keep the charge of the Lord. This had to happen. They had to do what God said for them to do. Or they would not have the right. They would not be in the position to do the service of the Lord. They wouldn't be in the position to do the showbread. To light the altar of incense. And to, to, to trim the lamps. They couldn't have done all those things. Because God hadn't physically set them apart to do the physical work. But now God spiritually sets us apart to do the spiritual work the greater work.
Because we serve a better high priest than Aaron. And, but even there, it's important to recognize what God says. He says, do this. Sit in the door of the tabernacle of meeting for those seven days where you boil the flesh and you eat the bread and you don't go out lest you die. Because even the picture, that's how God, serious God takes the picture. If God takes the picture that seriously, how much more seriously does he take the substance? How much more seriously does he take saying that you are Christ, that you have believed in God, that you have trusted in the actual blood of Jesus Christ instead of the blood of a bull? How much more seriously does he take that? You know, the third commandment says, (coughs) Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I will not hold those guiltless who take my name in vain. That's what this picture is. He's saying if you physically take it in vain, that God will kill you. How much more seriously do you think he takes it when you take his, his actual name, his spiritual name in vain? How much more serious is that in the eyes of God than just walking outside of the tabernacle during these seven days of consecration? <coughs> For so I have commanded. So God says the reason that they'll die is because they aren't obeying the commandments of God. We should recognize we have a duty. God saves us. He writes his law in our hearts and our minds so that we keep his commandments, so that we strengthen the law. So Aaron and his sons did all these things. They submitted to those things. They did them. Even though we know that they were rebellious, we know in chapter 10, two of them die for rebellion. But they had enough fear of God that physically they sat there. And God wanted the picture enough so that physically they sat there. So we could understand, so that we could look at them and say, so what does that mean for us? <coughs> Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. <coughs> they received the blessing of the picture we receive the blessing of the substance. It's a much greater blessing. Make sure you deal with it with much greater care. They sat in the door of the tabernacle because God commanded it. How much more seriously should we be taking the commandments of God? Let me give you a few applications. (coughs) The first is, are you making the wave offering of God? The wave offering of a priest and people notice that the power of sin has been broken in your life. Right? Because they held up the wave offering and they waved it. They made it so that the congregation could see. And I'm not saying that you do it because there's lots of people who claim to have the power of sin broken in their life. But the reality is that their life is just like everybody around them. But is your life actually different? Could somebody else say, you're different than other people I know? Because that's what the work of Christ does. He actually makes people different. (coughs) And again, it's not as obvious as some of the other things. But it is what's underlying your testimony to to the world, is that the power of sin is broken in your life. And the other thing is the, the, (coughs) excuse me, the right thigh. A picture of making true sacrifices. Can people see that you truly live sacrificially? That you truly esteem others better than yourself? That you truly care for the weak, the poor, the oppressed? That's the consistent teaching of Scripture. Can people look and say, you make sacrifices? 
Or do they look and say you live in the flesh because your sacrifices are for you and they're not for God? Then are you exalting the word of God? Everything that they waved, everything that was the pleasing, that when it was burnt would be the pleasing aroma to God. The thing on top of it all is the word of God. Are you exalting the word of God? Are you exalting it by obeying it? But are you exalting it by also giving it credit rather than yourself credit? Because it's really easy if somebody goes, oh, my children, they're so, your children, they're so well behaved. I'd, you know, we come and we see children in this restaurant all the time and they're wild. And then you bring your children and they're so well behaved. If you just go, oh, thank you. Or if you go, well, the Bible says spare the rod, despise the child. And I don't want to despise my children. I want to obey God. Do you see how different those two are? The one you have the bread on the top of the offering. The other one you don't. Are you pointing back to God as the source of righteousness in your life so that people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? (coughs) Are you lifting up the word of God? That's what needs to be most visible. Otherwise, you get the credit rather than God. And God is a jealous God. Next application, when you think that you being a living sacrifice, whether it's by evangelism or by helping your neighbor or however else you might be seeing yourself as serving God, remember the Pharisees were convinced they were serving God. That's not enough to say I'm serving God because there's lots of unbelievers that are absolutely convinced that they're serving God. They were certain they were serving God, and they went, and they were giving to the poor. They blew a trumpet to make sure the people gathered together. Isn't that a nice, clean, efficient way to make sure you're helping the people that need help? And God goes, they've received their reward in full. It's not about me. It's about them. They were sure that they were being a sacrifice, and they weren't. They were just, they were just pleasing themselves. They made long prayers to make sure that everybody saw their faithfulness. And God says, what, you think I'm deaf? You think I didn't know what you were going to pray even before you prayed it? So don't think that when you look at your works and you go, I'm doing these services for God. If it's not honoring God, if it's not a sacrifice that's in line with the commandments of God, if it's not about bringing glory to God, don't think it's a sacrifice that's a pleasing aroma to God. For it to be a pleasing aroma to God, it has to be for the glory of God and it has to be in accordance to the commandments of God. And it's so easy for us to do other things that we think are, we think that are good things. We think that they're a blessing to people. We think that we're really helping, but that's about serving ourselves, just like the Pharisees. Make, your, make sure your service in the kingdom of God is not about you, but it's about bringing glory and honor to God. <coughs> Another application the true sacrifice of Christ didn't weaken the law. Any sacrifice we make doesn't weaken the law. It testifies to the goodness of the law, not to the weakness of the law. Yes, the law is not a means of salvation. There's no law that can be given that can save anyone. But the law is good when it's used lawfully when it's used as a means to know how to walk righteously, when it's used as a means to know how you should be be bringing glory and honor to the name of God. And when we do that, when we walk 
in faith, and we obey the things that God has commanded, which requires faith rather than sight, because so many of his commandments, you look at them on their face, and you go, this doesn't make sense. Why should I? I'll be a lot more secure financially if I don't give a tithe, instead of going, no, actually, you're a lot more secure financially if you do give a tithe, because why shouldn't you expect God to judge you if you won't tithe? But yet, it's really easy to look (coughs) and say, say that somehow faith weakens the law when faith actually points to the goodness of the law for what it's used for. Not as a dead letter that just brings judgment, but as a way of life. (coughs) Other application, are your righteous acts seen as the work of God? That's what we're commanded by Christ to work towards. That's what we're supposed to do. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what a priest does. A priest doesn't go for glory for himself. A priest goes for God to be glorified. He goes and his work is so that people see the glory of Christ, the glory of his word, the glory of the work of the Holy Spirit, the glory of the mercy of the Father that he would send his Son. When you serve God, do you make sure that the honor is not going towards you? Your righteous acts must be seen as the work of God. (coughs) In the last application, all these things that were done to Aaron and to his sons, so that Israel would know that they were set apart, so that they would know that they were set apart. (coughs) Do you see them in your life? Do you see them in your life so you know you're set apart? Do you see the destruction of the sin in your inward members? Because either you're putting sin to death or it's putting you to death. Do you see the sacrifice, the burning up of the inward parts? Do you see the, the sacrifice, the willingness to sacrifice for others, to esteem others better than yourself? Or is your life about you? What's your relationship to the Word of God? Are you consuming the Word of God? And <coughs> and not just listening to sermons, although that's not a bad thing, but also reading the Word for yourself and studying the Word for yourself, studying it in your homes, talking to people in your homes about it, and just reading the Word, because the Word will have effect. What's your relationship to the Word of God? God gave us these pictures. He gave it to them so that people could see them and go, that's what a priest looks like. And he gave it so that spiritually people can look and say, that's what a priest looks like. Is that what you look like? Let me close in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who does speak to your people. You did not leave us in the darkness. We thank you that you went before and you laid out all these things that that they looked at and they didn't understand, they didn't see the details, but we can now look at them and we can understand them and we can say, how do they apply to us? How, in, through the coming of Christ, how are they to be reformed in our lives? Lord, help us to live in accordance with these pictures. In your name we pray, amen.